Hello, brave ones. Thanks for listening to the Birth Bruja podcast. I'm your host, Eric Guajardo Johnson, and this is episode five of the Lost and Grief series, part one. Birth work is a wide and multifaceted realm of supporting folks through intense experiences. Whether we are conscious of it or not, we hold space for physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. We hold space for what is happening in the moment and all the ways past experiences manifest in our clients' embodiment. For many of us who live in bodies that have been historically marginalized and devalued, a significant part of the pregnancy, birth, and postpartum experience can be spent processing and healing. During such physically and emotionally intense times, it is common for deeply rooted experiences to come flooding back to the surface. This series is dedicated to exploring and holding space for loss and grief. Miscarriage, stillbirth, infant loss, infertility, death of a loved one, abortion, unwanted pregnancy, massive life transitions, depression, anxiety, and more are examples of why someone might be struggling in such a way. In today's episode, we are joined by two stellar humans, community worker, artist, and family marriage therapist, Shanishia Hoover, as well as artist, dancer, culture producer, and producer of the Birth Bruja podcast, Kat Petru. As with all of our series, the first conversation aims to create a baseline understanding of the topic. We look at loss and grief in its entirety and dive into its impact outside of the birth room. Throughout the interview, we bounce back and forth between referencing examples within birth work and Shanishia's work with youth. While the examples are specifying different things, the themes are all the same. Additionally, it was a spontaneous decision to add Kat into the conversation. Therefore, we do not have a proper introduction beyond a simple greeting. You will for sure learn more about Kat and the other members of We Rise in a different series. In the meantime, check out show notes for more info on today's guests. And for our final note, please approach this series mindfully. Pause whenever necessary, drink a glass of water, feel the sun on your face, call a friend, do whatever you have to do to process any feelings that might arise. A courageous conversation lies ahead. Stay tuned. A big, big welcome and gratitude to Shanishia Hoover for being here today. Thanks yes, for coming. Absolutely. It's an honor. So to just jump right in, if you could just start to tell us about yourself. Where do you come from? Where are your people from? What are you doing these days? Oh, my goodness. Uh, how long do I have? <laughs> <laughs> uh, hello, I'm Shanishia Hoover. I am an MFT intern. I was born in Arkansas, so that's where my folks are from, but was raised in the East Bay area, Pittsburgh, California. Whoop, whoop. Nobody really knows about it. <laughs> um, I'll put it on the map, though. Um, I am currently working at Bay Area Youth Centers as a, a therapist there, a community-based therapist. I work with formerly foster youth, probation youth. Um, yeah, and aside from that, I am just an artist. I'm a creative person. I, I enjoy making clothes. I do art. And I spend a lot of time just chilling back, kicking back. I'm just a normal regular degler schmegler girl <laughs> <laughs> that was such a humble humble share 
Thank you. I mean, thank you. And uh, just so you know, folks, I'm going to do another holler about the epicness that is Shanisha in the show notes. So um, for folks who are interested in connecting with her, you'll be able to do that there. And I also would like to formally introduce Catherine, or Kat Petru, of We Rise. Uh, she'll be joining us for today's conversation. She produces many things, but she's the producer of the Birth Bruja podcast. So Kat, thank you for hopping on air with us today. It is an honor to be joining the conversation. Thanks for having me. This topic of loss and grief is a pretty big one. And so to start today's episode, I wanted to begin with a poem that's written by one of my teachers, Shiloh Sophia McLeod. It's a poem, it's a prayer, it's an opportunity to ground and to give context. This poem is called, In Times of Great Sorrow. In times of great sorrow, may you learn to be with the knowing and not lose your joy. In times of great collective undoing, may you maintain a strong connection to your inner self. In the journey of intense grief, may you feel everything and not lose your way home. In times when it seems the truth is lost, may you hold fast to what is dear. When you are healed enough, may you reach out to offer blessings to others. May the revolution we are in need of begin to rise in the heart of our community circles. And please, please rest when you are tired. We need you whole and ready to lead. May this blessing go out to where it is needed. Mm. Okay, and here we go. <laughs> Diving right in, uh, Shanisha, would you please uh, launch us off by talking about what are some of the common ways that folks may experience grief and or loss? Common ways that folks may experience grief, mm-hmm. a multitude of ways. Um, speaking from my experience, I was numb. I just just kind of isolated myself. I, I was very disconnected from social supports. And in the work that I do with young adults who are former foster youth, I see it through um, agitation, irritability, um, anger, um, you know, engaging in substance use, gangs. Mm-hmm. It's just very broad, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, for acknowledging that wide range of possibilities. I also want to kind of add to that list that all those emotions can also be experienced with other things as well, Mm -hmm. such as relief Mm -hmm. that whatever event happened is over, Um, you know, joy or loss. Like, you know, I'm not going to go too much into that, but I just want to name how important it is for us to give room for not just intense emotions, but feeling emotions at the same time. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Around the experience of grief after a loss, it's it's very common, at least from what I've gathered in my experience and also supporting folks, it's really common for um, folks to experience a sense of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, the sense of things in life that held a lot of meaning suddenly don't. Therefore, the, the stopping of self-care mm-hmm. or the, the disconnection from communities and friends and workplaces because it's like, what's the point? Right. If, you know, folks are going to be taken away from me or what's the point of taking care of my body if it's unable to, you know, to nurture life mm. you know, or deliver it on the other side. Um, so you mentioned something really powerfully about isolation. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about what you've seen folks do in that isolation and why might they want to continue reaching out to community mm. for support? 
I'm holding a few of my young people in mind, and I and I love how we're how we're marrying the two worlds, but we're talking about the common thread of themes. I'm holding a few youth in mind. One youth in particular um, who has experienced loss and being displaced from family. He has named with me that he has went into isolation, and when he's in that space, he told me that he's what he calls passively suicidal, meaning he doesn't have an intent or plan, but it's like I gave up on myself. So if I were to cross the street and get hit by a bus, I wouldn't care. It's because of that 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 learned hopelessness. It's that feeling of I'm already disconnected from anything that held meaning for me. I just don't care at this point. And the work that I have to do as a, as a clinician is to make sure that he's accessing supports, that he's connecting to the, you know, the the community centers and to not be held in that space. You you know what I'm saying? So yeah. grief and all those other feelings that are associated with it is something that's inevitable. We can't, we can't control that, but we can control how we choose to respond to it. And that's the work that I do in reminding my young people is like, we, we have choice in how we choose to respond and we don't have to stay suffering. Suffering could be a, a choice, honestly. Right. Yeah. Right. And off air, one of the things Kat, that you had brought up that I found so profound was your observation about the connection between individual grief and collective grief. Yeah. Sometimes our grief isn't from an isolated specific experience. Sometimes it's because of our capacity to feel into collective grief, Mm, collective pain, collective Mm. suffering, um, violence, etc. And then also... It's not only tied to what's happening right now. So, for example, the way that little kids can pick up on Islamophobia and xenophobia Mm. being projected by our government, being projected by dominant culture um, and can feel that and can be angry or sad or confused. Um, Just like we can all we all have the capacity to feel that shared experience in the present I also know from my own experience that trauma and grief is passed down generationally. Yes. And so part of the healing is acknowledging the reality of intergenerational trauma and being committed to taking care of that too and being gentle and kind with ourselves. And I have found that it's remarkably healing to do all of this work in community to remember that because the grief and the pain isn't in truth actually isolated it is shared even if it is a loss of a loved one that's a relationship between two people so there's always relationality and relationship in our suffering around the experiences of many folks of color who come from a uh, lack of opportunity lack of Uh, clean food or safe environments, lack of uh, access to medical care, and they go through pregnancy and lose baby via miscarriage or via stillborn. Um, So having a lot of individual experiences of trauma and then all the while suddenly becoming, and I'm doing air quotes here, becoming a statistic. Mm. So playing into a narrative of loss and oppression and violence. And so therefore the experience of individual suffering can simultaneously be that connection with something more. With regard to what Shanisha just shared, I think that perception that we don't have a choice is also indicative of dominant culture and of a culture that lacks consent Mm. and that thrives off of us thinking we have to do 
what say is prescribed by doctors. Um, so there's, there's two, there's two pieces as I see it. One is like, one is the way that grief and or depression or anxiety are pathologized, are defined in dominant society. And so you're feeling crappy about something and maybe you have access to a clinic or a doctor and you go and they say, oh, you're depressed here, take this pill. Mm. That's indicative of the medical industrial complex. So often, not always, but so often it's motivated by profit. And so rather than getting to the root of the grief, Mm. it's medicated Mm -hmm. and the symptom is maybe treated, but there's not an opportunity or there's not encouragement to do things that are truly healing. And so um, I'm trying to remember exactly what you said, Shanishi, that I was like, oh my gosh, this, you said like people, they don't, folks don't think they have choices. Like this, mm-hmm. um, this, this person you were thinking of is like passively suicidal, like I don't have a choice. Okay, another example, capitalism. Again, people who are systemically oppressed typically have, less access to money mm. and therefore it's just a struggle to even like get by day to day um how am i gonna how am i gonna pay rent or maybe mm-hmm. you're in in living with your family like how am i gonna you know throw down to support my family mm-hmm. um how is my sister gonna get through school how is my mom how am i gonna take care of my mom she's not well right now there's mm-hmm. all these added pressures when we don't have basic needs and so as our basic needs are stripped from us by these systems that are a culture of competition and divide and conquer rather than sharing and mutual support and cooperation and collaboration, we get more and more isolated and we feel more and more deprived of options. Mm -hmm. So it's really vital to talk about how we do have options and to name the problems and the oppression and the systems that we're in to name these issues in dominant culture so we can start to see them more clearly so we can start to see ways out and start to find creative ways to support ourselves and support each other. Does that make sense? I know that was a little uh, nonlinear. I think that speaks largely to the need for us to be connected to each other, not just when shit goes wrong, but to create these, these systems, whether it be like literally within like a, working with multiple people logistics sort of way or also within having the relationship built between us to, you know, have that avenue be open. Um, We're talking so broadly, covering so many things and just, you know, thinking about how different this conversation would mean depending on the culture of folks that we're referencing and talking about. Kat, something that came up for me when you're talking about I'm doing air quotes here, like, you know, medicine or self-care, that's actually just another way to engage in capitalism and consumerism Mm. is the performative aspect. Like so often when sharing grief, we have this anxiety or this need or to feel like we need to care for whoever it is we tell our sad story to. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, in, you know, if we're going to tell a story, then it has to end on a high note, you mm-hmm. know, on something. And I'm over it. Or and look at my lost five pounds and my hair is long and shiny. Um, you know, something to like prove to them mm-hmm. that we're not weak or wounded or and that's one realm or the flip side. Right. Is to exist in a family or a culture where 
you're not given room to talk about it, to experience it, that it's, it's not appropriate, that it is a sign of weakness or a sign of being whiny. Or if you do have feelings that it's only appropriate in very specific realms, you can only feel anger or you can only feel devastating sorrow. So there were two things that you said that I wanted to pick, again, pick up on. One is the way that being sad or, or hurt or grieving is seen as weak. That's that's not real. It's not weak to be sad. If if your grandmother dies and you were close to her, why on earth would you be expected to be happy mm. and be full of energy and vitality? The other piece ties directly into this, which is the entire first series for Birth Bruja was on ancestral medicine. And so jumping back to the concept of the medical industrial complex, we're made to believe that we don't have these choices. Well, if we continue to to seek our ancestral wisdom and to practice ancestral ways of healing, we know that there are other ways to to feel well. I recommend going back and listening to those three episodes because they talk about plant medicine and prayer and dance and movement and and all these these modes of healing that that take time, that require us to be present with the emotions and that don't place judgment on the emotions themselves. And so first of all, to to not judge ourselves and to just name it, it's mm-hmm. not weak to be sad. Mm-hmm. Absolutely mm-hmm. not, yeah. Kat, thank you so much for identifying the concept of medicine, but also like the full width of it. And we go, again, we go super deep into that in the, the previous series. But I also would like to shift. So we have medicine, right? Things that can can bring healing, right? If we were to try to define it in this context. Shanishia, I was wondering if from here, if you can talk about something called coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. if you can talk about what it is, what they can look like, mm-hmm. what are ways in which they may be helpful or not helpful in the long run and so forth. When it comes to coping mechanisms, I feel like everyone has their own internal coping skills. And the way I like to share with my young people, you creating a toolbox of resources to support you through a challenging emotion. And coping skills can look like listening to music. When you guys were talking about the the first series of Birth Bruja, you know, dancing, spending time with friends, that's a form of community. Art, crafts, all of those are, are forms of coping mechanisms. So you're speaking specifically to grief, coping mechanisms that I've used has been reaching out for support. Like I mentioned earlier, when uh, my, my best friend passed away, um, I was very avoidant and in, in, in isolative. And I found that it just, I was delaying the process. You have to go through the grief process. So I allowed myself to reach out to her mother and process with her and, and share stories. Sometimes we'll get together and talk about my friend over food. Those are all forms of the coping to um, support you through that. Mm-hmm. Mm. To continue this thread in my experience of supporting folks who have either undergone an abortion or a miscarriage, right, like a very embodied process of loss mm-hmm. or experience of loss, a lot of times coping mechanisms can look like things that, if continued over a period of time, are straight up harming right. to the body. Yes. Right? Like um, harming to the things that, quote unquote, like, you know, betrayed us or mm-hmm. let us down. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak a little bit around how in your realm you would approach the topic of the use of substances and you know, including alcohol? Absolutely. Working with the young adults, sometimes that's what they've learned. They've learned to use as a form of coping. Mm-hmm. And through that, I just gather more insight about 
what leads you to smoking? Because oftentimes we see it's like, oh, that's something that's bad. You know, you shouldn't be drinking, you shouldn't be smoking. But when you dive deeper, you'll realize that they're getting a sense of community from engaging in some of those substances. I smoke with my friends and we talk about my cousin or, you know. Um, And so from there, I help them recognize, is there any form of an impairment, right? When there's impairments in your functioning, that's when you want to recognize that Mm. it's an issue. So smoking in itself is not bad if it's helping you feel connected to your friends, if you're still able to go to school, do what you need to do. Okay, maybe that's not the immediate risk that's on the table. But when you start to recognize that you're not going to school, when you're isolating yourself, when you're not eating, when you're not taking care of your daily hygiene and wellness, let's talk about, let's introduce a concept of of harm reduction, which was another conversation we had off the air. Let's figure out a way to scale back. So can you talk a little bit about what harm reduction means? Harm reduction in the simplest terms is just cutting back from any type of act that's causing more harm than good. Hmm. So if you're if you're smoking and it's and it's getting to the point where you're not able to complete your daily functioning. All right. Let's look at how much you're smoking. Are you smoking five blunts today? Okay, let's try smoking four tomorrow and see where, where that goes. If that's undoable. All right. Let's just try smoking half, you know, four and a half blunts. And from there, you're scaling back to see if there's any improvements or any any shift there for yeah. you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. To offer another example, um, I had a, a client who went through a whole childhood of pretty intense sexual abuse, and it manifested in her adult years as eating disorder, mm-hmm. as um, first anorexia and bulimia, and then as she grew older, into binging. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that we worked out together that she found helpful was, first off, to not feel shame. Mm-hmm. around the fact that she has to cope, like, you know, like to not get caught up in the shame of, oh, this overeating or this smoking, this drinking is bad. Because that's just a whole nother realm of, you know, mm-hmm. of, of guilt. Yeah, of a, a tornado of thoughts. Um, So to catch that and then instead kind of make deals with herself. Mm-hmm. Be like, all right, well, I know that I'm going to engage in this activity, so I'm going to do it. And before I do that, let me drink a glass of water. Let me eat a meal that I know or I feel would be nourishing to me. And so then when you know we engage in whatever activity really gives us relief in that moment, mm-hmm. we can come at it in a more intentional way. Absolutely. And I think that's the power about community is that it can give us a perspective of what intention means, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, to know that if we do decide to engage in, in something and we know that it's giving us relief and we know that there's something in there, a need that needs to be met. We have all these examples of what medicine could look like. Mm-hmm. We have all these examples about what compassion, what it, you know, what it could look like when things get better. Absolutely. Also, as someone who did suffer from an eating disorder for like a, over a decade, I would say it's not our fault. I really appreciate what you just said about the way that we often add pressure and add pain to an existing wound by blaming ourselves. Mm -hmm. And again, realizing the culture that we are swimming in, knowing that there's a particular body type that's projected Mm -hmm. on the media, in movies, etc. There's a particular skin tone. There's a particular hair. There's an image of ideal beauty that's virtually literally impossible to mirror and that that's not our fault and again we can name heteropatriarchy we can name white supremacy we can name these pieces of dominant culture and say oh it's bigger than me 
and it's hurting other people in addition to me. Mm. And so let's, as we take care of ourselves again on these like micro, not they're not micro, but like it, it's, it's really fluid as I see it, this process of taking care of ourselves and, and chipping away at the bigger systems that are causing such harm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. 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 This actually feeds into my next question, Shanisha, is what were some common challenges that you've seen folks have in accessing support or asking for help? And I think that very much plays into the larger systems within which a lot of this violence occurs. I find that, and I, I just keep speaking to the work that I do with my young, my young adults, not feeling like they have agency over accessing these resources, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. reaching out for support, asking for support and feeling like kind of hopeless in that process of like, it's not happening when I need it to happen. I'm asking for support and you're giving this support to me in the way that you think will be beneficial and not from what I need. And you're not even taking time to inquire or, or try to assess like what my needs are. Mm-hmm. How can you treat something if you're misdiagnosing the problem so like that 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 issue of not taking the time to assess what needs actually are is such a big problem absolutely mm-hmm. and it's such an you know the experience of violence and trauma in general right however that manifests is such a unique unique thing that a lot of times the resources that are available are you know qualitative like you need to jump through hoops you need mm-hmm. to qualify absolutely right so going back to to my world over here around the concept of postpartum depression or or you know grief afterwards within the context of you know reproductive health the doctor will ask you a few questions mm-hmm. and then based on your responses then you know you can be referred to certain agencies or certain services uh, that you know you have to go there during their hours mm-hmm. um, especially if it's through an uh, institution like a city or a governmental sort of thing or a nonprofit mm-hmm. again more hoops to jump through so that they can check their boxes and report mm-hmm. back to their funders and then if it's on the private side of things again money Absolutely. resources community reputation Right. Like a lot of times the people that you'd feel safe to go to are such a small world that you don't want them to really you know, have access to the turmoil that is within you. Mm. And then there's the whole just trying to survive, trying to survive the moment, mm. trying to like motivate to eat regularly, to shower, to show up to our jobs. Or sometimes not even knowing that you have you have choice. You have choice. You can ask for a different therapist. You can ask for, Thank you. you know, a change in, in service providers. You know, it's it's not the education piece is essential. And that's why I try to remind my young people all the time, like you have choice. You can choose. Like if this isn't working for you, you have agency. This is your support. This is your help. And you have a choice to ask for how you want it. Right. I think this also speaks about the concept of value. Sometimes... We, again, especially within communities that are historically marginalized, there's this thing of like, oh, well, I don't deserve to feel better. I don't deserve to get support. I don't deserve to ask for help or take up space. Mm. And so, again, I feel like, Kat, like this speaks to what you mentioned before about just how the personal is political, about how our own experience of, of grief and accessing support directly ties in to our community's experience of grief and accessing for support. Yeah, so therefore, when it is so difficult for us to reach out, maybe giving a little more compassion about, it's not just us in that moment, it's this narrative, this like weight that's on our shoulders that's telling us that 
you know, it's selfish mm -hmm. to reach out to ask for help. Those sort of narratives are pretty, pretty big. Shanisha, what are some signs that it's time to reach out for help? When you're isolating to the point where it's debilitating, where you're not taking care of yourself, your daily routine has completely been shot, you're not going to work or you're not going to school, you're not tending to your, your needs, your immediate needs. I think that's about the time when you need when you mm. need some support. What we call that in therapy is impairments in functioning. When you're not able to perform your daily tasks and routines in the ways that you were before, um, I think that's when it's time. Can I add to that? Absolutely. A Please do. As sort of as a question, because I'm not an expert, but in my own experience, when I was going through some really hard times, but fed into the things you just named, Shanisha, is um, like really repetitive thoughts, really obsessing and like unable to zoom out. Does that make sense? I don't know if that's common or if that's like another piece of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I also want to kind of throw in the concept of relationships, mm -hmm. how even if we're, we're still productive, and again, I'm doing air quotes here, if we're still productive and showing up in the ways that, you know, external world will check our boxes, mm -hmm. um, if we notice that our relationships that build the foundation of absolutely. our life, mm -hmm. if they're crumbling, Mm -hmm. That's also, I think, a good sign to to reach out. In accessing your, your community supports, reach out to a friend and say, have you noticed me? Have you been experiencing me lately? Because mm. I can also give you more further insight. Yeah. Yes. Aria, I don't know if this is your next question, but I'm just thinking if I'm a listener and I can relate to some of the things that Shanisha or I just named, what's a good first step if you're listening right now and are feeling that SOS? The first step, the first step. Mm -hmm. If you have a friend, if you go to church, if you have any type of community support, if you can identify one person, just one person that you can ask for support, whether that be through, can you walk with me to this health clinic so I can get some acupuncture? Or can you, would you mind sitting with me for a few hours and let's look at some local therapists online? Can you, can we pray together? Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, it doesn't have to seem like this daunting task and I feel like that's the way that we've been taught to approach the grief process is like it's like a task that you have to do you know no it doesn't have to be a painful experience just reach out to one person for some support and as I'm listening and thinking like I don't know what happened but listening to you say that and then even me naming like some things that I'd experienced I could feel that sense of dread or like a brick wall in front of me and like I could feel my body literally clench and so I would also share some things that have been super helpful for me and I didn't name at the beginning but in addition to I would say being a survivor of disordered eating also a survivor of um, sexual abuse and also I was pathologized with anxiety with bipolar disorder mm -hmm. so that's like a whole other conversation for another time but and then of course the intergenerational trauma that I spoke to earlier and these broader systemic problems I really identify as part of what's caused me so much pain mm -hmm. and why that's partially why I'm so committed to ending them. But if I could just add feeling your body mm. taking, I know you hear it people, maybe you hear it in so many places, but I can't underestimate the value of taking a deep breath. I was just hearing from someone yesterday that our exhale literally releases toxins and stress from our body. Yes. So like softening, 
physically, if you're able to put your feet on the earth, to ground, to feel the physical support of gravity and of the earth beneath you. For me, a lot of this embodied release and letting go in a certain way has been helpful in those moments when all of a sudden I'm like clenched up and can't see a way through of whatever the situation is. Yeah. Oh, yes. I love that. I just even got a visual of me like on the on the beach with my feet in the sand, like just to just decompress and center myself and ground myself. Yes. This is a beautiful segue to my final question, actually, for both of you Mm. to speak about the power of resilience. Each of us individually have done justice work, have been within healing spaces and have also lived through some experiences and the concept of resilience is I think one of the foundational elements of why I'm still here, like mm. why I'm literally still here, why I'm still engaged in this work, because it's a timeless, primordial power that's deeper than than what we're going on in the moment. In closing, would one of y'all like to begin? Sure, I'll, I'll begin. I feel like if you're tuning in, you're already resilient right there. Mm, so good. If you're if you're looking up how to overcome grief, that's an act of resiliency you're still here. That's just an act of resilience, period. Whether it's you're not able to get up out the bed, you woke up the next morning, that's an act of resilience. And understanding that grief is a unique process for everyone. And educating yourself that, you know, there's five stages of grief, right? We have denial, we have anger, we have bargaining, we have depression and acceptance. Understanding that it's not going to look that way for every individual person. You can start out with anger, and then the next step is could be depression, and then you can go back up to you know denial. You know it, it's going to be a messy, messy thing. But as long as you're prioritizing your wellness and your health in whatever capacity that may look like for you, that's an act of resilience. Yes. Thank you. And Kat, do you have any thoughts just around the power of resilience? in our individual context of healing from grief and trauma and loss, and also if you have any other thoughts around how resilience ties into collective experiences. I really appreciated what you said about the power of the stories we tell ourselves, and that's one reason why I'm in media. I guess I guess I can say, like, I never, part of me, never imagined that I would be doing what I'm doing now. When I was a little girl, I wanted to be a star. I like <laughs> loved to sing and dance. And I was like, I just wanted to do it forever. And then something happened. And I, 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 don't, I can't even put it into words. But um, one thing I can say is that along the way, I lost my sense of faith. For me, I really relate to the, to the word magic. And had such an active imagination as a little girl and still definitely do. I think I started to feel like I had to be in control of my life and I had to know ahead of time what to do. I was so scared of making mistakes and I just had 32 students, young, like 10-year-old students in the radio station yesterday and their teacher, a dear friend of mine, Miss T, who's been on We Rise, check her out, she's amazing, teaches them that mistakes are marvelous. So I guess I would say we do have agency. We do have the capacity to make choices and to change the conditions of our lives. That's important. And for me, 
one thing that brings me resilience is recognizing that I'm not in complete control and that there are forces greater than my individual self and surrendering to that and being brave enough to make mistakes and brave enough to be messy Mm. Um, and brave enough to play and believe in magic and trust the power of my and and our shared imaginations. Thank you. Thank you for that share. I think you said something that I just really want to highlight, which is that healing is multifaceted and also it's not linear. It's cyclical, Mm. which means that this process, especially with loss, it's something it's going to hold meaning for us in the moment and it's going to continue to hold meaning in varied ways as we grow older and as we build new relationships and, you know, access new places. So to remember that resilience is, in my opinion, one of the things that could define it is the practice of returning back to ourselves, the practice of choosing our well-being any way that we can to trust that even though these feelings are familiar, mm. even though there may be a fear that we're going to fall down the rabbit hole of depression or self-harm or all these other struggles that we've experienced in the past, trusting that we are resilient and that in that moment we have access to tools and understanding of self that we didn't have in the moment prior and trusting that our ancestors are bigger than we can even imagine, Mm -hmm. trusting Mm -hmm. that there's, however you want to phrase it, higher being, spirit, God, just greater good, trusting that, that things are always bigger than us Mm. and just you know that it can get better just got to keep on showing up so obviously this conversation is not nearly close to being over I mean this is just literally our lived experiences this conversation held and it can itself be an entire show but I just want to thank both of you for joining Shanisha you do amazing work in this world and the way you show up is so full of integrity and grace and amazing fashion um, <laughs> that I just thank you for coming today and sharing your work. And Kat, your wisdom and skills, most of the time behind the scenes, I just really appreciate you joining us for this really huge, huge conversation. There's a lot that we covered and I hope that all of y'all, folks who are leaving this room and also folks who are listening, um, especially if there was things that were said that felt true, that felt heavy, that may have mustered some stuff up for you, please, please, please take a breath, drink a glass of water, make some tea, connect with the earth, call a friend, do what you need to do to take care of yourself. Hopefully you'll have found some value in some of the things discussed today. And if you're ready, join us for the next episode where we continue this topic of grief and loss, but more specifically dive in to birth work how to support others who are going these these experiences, how to support ourselves, those who've experienced this and who are in the realm of supporting others. So thank you again so much, Anisha and Kat, for being here. It was an honor. Absolutely. And I would like to add that we'll have links on the SoundCloud page for folks also to please reach out and that I at least will offer myself. I won't speak for Ari and Janisha, but um, that we're here too as resources and We can't hold it all individually. None of us can, but we can perhaps be of support. Um, I just don't want anyone to feel alone. Absolutely. Feel free. They can email me with questions and I can forward you information. Yes. All that goodness will be in show notes. Thank you for that. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Ari. This night. 
She is shedding the skins no longer needed. Heavy trench coats shaken off on the dance floor. As she moves her body, she feels the electricity build. A lightening up of all the heavy hearts held inside. Turning towards the shadows with wide eyes, she says, I see you, shadow stories. Thank you for your teachings. And you are not my master. This dawn, she declares, I will not hide from myself. I will not turn from suffering. I will not let fear dominate my experience. I choose to eat lightning for breakfast. I have lived through the sorrows needed to shape the self that is mine to become. And I will love with an unreasonable appetite for loving what is hard to love. This day, she dances weightless through the crowds of chaos no longer fearing attack or needing protection. Finding a freedom that is chosen, the kind that exists even in the middle of war. She finds the needs in the world unique to her gifts. She nurtures them, unafraid, knowing, deeply knowing the great spirit has chosen us to do great work and each of us is preparing ourselves for the journey ahead. This time is not a time to be out there without being in here. Each of us doing the work we need to do to get free of the stories that are keeping us from serving beauty. Dance with me through the chaos because I need you. As long as we are in our own way, we cannot go where we are most needed. This is the strange medicine that in tending the wounds of the world, your own wounds are tended. Your time. This is your time simply because you are alive. The mystery has brought you a sacred assignment. Your piece of the red thread is pulling you forward. Listen up. You don't need to save the world. You don't need to save yourself or get it right. Lay down those heavy thoughts to discover your time has arrived. Just show up. Because of you, what can be saved will be saved. This is more than enough. This is why she eats lightning for breakfast. A great force of light comes through her. She can block it or bear it. The heat is intense. Sometimes it threatens to consume, annihilate, she turns the lightning into prayers. The poem you just heard is written by Shiloh Sophia McLeod and is called She Eats Lightning for Breakfast. The music you heard on today's show is X Factor by Lauren Hill. Deep gratitude to Sharnishia Hoover and Kat Petru for being our guests. Guest bios and contact info are in the show notes. Check out episode 6, Loss and Grief series, part 2, where we connect with birth worker Maureen Butner to witness a telling of her birth story, a heartfelt tale of life, loss, and love. And last but not least, follow me on Instagram at birthbruja to continue the conversation around loss and grief in and outside of birth work. <laughs>